You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome into the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. Live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for anything you're doing in the next couple of weeks sports-related, whether that's a Texas Tech game, a Little League game, an ALCS, a World Series appearance, you can do it at Cardinal Sports Center. Right outside the loop on Slide Road. Now, hold on here. Sorry to end the uh, ad read. See if we can get uh, YouTube added on here. Not streaming on YouTube. There we go. Welcome to our YouTube audience. Slide Road right outside the loop or online, mycardinalsports.com. Now we're cooking, Kyle. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. We were on uh, Facebook and Twitter losing the the YouTube audience, our, our biggest audience. Aside from the Republic of Football Feed, uh, which we know and love over there at Dave Campbell's, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. We're uh, so close to a 1,000 it hurts. Trying to get that uh, cooking over there. Uh, all right. In Provo, on the road, Joey McGuire already with a road win this year in conference play. Uh, but otherwise, not good on the road so far. Two and six, I believe. Uh, is this an opportunity to get to three and six in Provo? It's about as good of an opportunity as you'll have in some respects. I mean, I think in a vacuum, BYU is going to be a tough place to play in the Big 12 going forward. But this year, I think their team has a lot of weaknesses. And you only have three road games left. I think this one is the most winnable versus going to Lawrence or going to Austin. So, yeah, in that respect, I think you've got to strike while the iron's hot a little bit and view this as probably your best winnable road opportunity remaining this year. Yeah, and that's saying that with uh, Kansas on the schedule. Um, Something I probably would have laughed at uh, a couple years past, but they're a legitimate opportunity um, every time out now to get a win for Kansas. Uh, even though they just lost Oklahoma State. I'm so confused by the Big 12, by the way, before we get too far into this BYU game. Uh, Kansas has lost to Oklahoma State, beaten some teams. Uh, UCF kind of up and down competitively. Baylor up and down competitively. TCU just hammered BYU but struggles against other teams. It just – I don't know what to expect. Uh, maybe this is a BYU team who just got housed that want to prove they belong in the Big 12, so they come back even hungrier. Um, I don't think we've talked enough about Texas Tech and how injured they've been. Um, And I didn't really expect to see so many injuries. I think there were a couple of extra injuries that weren't reported before this last game. You kind of look at the injury report going into the game of on game day and be like, oh, yeah, that's not a great – that's not a great lineup there. Yeah, it's a lot, and I think it started to kind of chip away at 
Joey's resolve. I mean, he he was in the middle of his media availability on Monday or Tuesday, whenever they do that, and was talking through an unrelated question and then sort of got sidetracked and was like, hey, like the reality is we're really banged up and like it's not an excuse. My expectations don't change. It's next man up, all that stuff. But yeah, like I think that when you're three and four with the expectations Tech had coming into the season, you maybe overlook some stuff that you shouldn't. And I've actually, um, if for the game notes, whenever we get into the preview, have something that I, I don't think has gotten enough criticism. Uh, but yeah, like you're banged up. Even going back to Laramie, um, like we learn at kickoff that Isaac Smith is out for the season. Jacob Rodriguez has been out ever since that first quarter. Uh, you might be on, I don't think we know who's going to start a quarterback. You might be on third string quarterback, true freshman, and doesn't even get into all the other guys that are banged up and like you're missing Baskerville last game, not sure what his status is, missing Tharp for a couple games. So it's like both sides of the ball, all position groups, guys that have missed most of the year versus questionable going into Saturday. I mean, it's all over the place and it, it, it sucks, but unfortunately that's part of the game. And it feels like you're holding some guys out that are injured so you can redshirt them uh, because they've missed so much time. Big, big time guys like Jacob Rodriguez, uh, you're not going to rush back if you don't have to. Um, feels like you have to, but I guess you don't. Um, on the other side, BYU um, struggling to, to open the Big 12 play. They beat Cincinnati. They lose, as I said earlier, by 40 to TCU. Um, what's your read on this this BYU team just as a unit? A big deal. Yeah, there's sort of an interesting case coming in. I thought that of the newcomers, they had a roster that was constructed a little bit better than some of the others in terms of just power five experience, like especially at the quarterback position. They're bringing in a guy that uh, in Keaton Slovis, who's started at USC, started at Pitt, you know, not some guys seeing a power five defense for the first time. They've got a left tackle. I'm going to say his name only because I know I can nail it. Kingsley Suamataia. He's mocked as a first rounder, so he's going to be good. And uh, I felt like they, they've they done well in the portal. Like they, had, they added a bunch of power five transfers. Like in some ways you've seen it. I think their record is four and two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe four and three, but either way, like they had a big road win in Fayetteville against Arkansas. Um, you know, won their their Big 12 debut at home against Cincinnati, another newcomer. And so I, I always looked at this team as one that had a lot of potential. A lot of their stats, though, are like bottom of the barrel, you know. So it, I don't think the production has really matched the talent. And, you know, they in that respect, I'm not sure. But their fan base might be sort of frustrated thinking we should be better than what we're putting out there. And I, I don't really fault them for that because they're – I mean, they're literally like 120th in some of these metrics and they don't have – they have a way better roster than that. You know, they shouldn't be ranked that low in some of these areas. So I think it's a team that can certainly punch up. Like if they're playing to their potential, they can be a top half of the conference team. But we've also seen them really struggle uh, pretty consistently. And so I think there's some fan frustration, some fan pessimism. You know, it was funny when the opening line got posted, all the Tech fans coming off the heels of the Kansas State loss or like how in the world are we favored by two points, three points, wherever you saw it. And BYU fans, same deal. They're like, hey, your quarterback looked good. Uh, Y'all are going to torch us. Um, So I always think that's funny. Uh, I bet Vegas gets a lot of people doing that, just betting the opening line based on yesterday's result and fading their team because everybody assumes their team sucks after a loss. 
And of course, that's not really how it works in the long run. So anyway, I think they're I think they're a capable team that has some good players at different spots. Um, but yeah, like the production has not been consistently there at all. Yeah, consistency is a, a word that I would say has hurt and plagued both teams, though BYU four and uh, four and two, as you said. But that first win, 14 to nothing against Sam Houston. Um they haven't done anything since. So I, have they won a game? They haven't won a – now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think Sam Houston – I think they're over. They're 0-7, but they have – they've hung tough quite a bit. So, like, I don't think they're as bad as the record indicates. But it, it also it's their first year in FBS. So, I mean, they're, you can maybe expect a bit of a transitional issue there. It was crazy. It's Houston. That was their biggest loss. And they've played some some tough opponents. Yeah. Uh, let's get into some of the some of the. Do you have something else? Well, it was funny um, flying out of DFW, uh, going to Denver for the game in Wyoming. The guy next to me was in BYU gear, and um, you know, I asked him if if he was going to the game. He's like, "Yeah, I'm a season ticket holder. I live in I think he said Plano." And so he said, "I I fly to most games. Like I'm retired. You know, I don't have work or anything." And uh, we were both – he was like, oh, yeah, y'all are going to handle Wyoming, no problem. And I was like, yeah, it's like Sam Houston since their first year in FBS. And they didn't lose like we did, but they won, I think, that 14-0, 13-0, like not pretty at all. Um, I imagine their fans didn't leave that game feeling super great about their team. So, anyway, I wish I could have, like, flown back with that guy so we could debrief together. Maybe I'll see him on the plane tomorrow. Um, but, anyway, yeah, I think it's kind of been a frustrating – Similarly frustrating season for both squads is probably a fair way to put it. Uh, a lot has been said this week about running the damn ball, and fans have been frustrated that you threw the ball 28 times with true freshman Jake Strong. Zach Kitley had his own comments about it uh, this week in the press conference, saying the, the run fits and everything else didn't fit, so you didn't run it. There were too many in the box. Uh, you're banging your head against the wall, yada, yada, yada. Um, what do you want to see this week from the offense? If it's Jake Strong, if it's Baron Morton, regardless, um, because I know what I want to see. I'll start by saying I just completely disagree with the notion that your lead back averaging five and a half yards per carry amounts to banging your head against the wall. Like, I totally get it. And there were games last year, Houston was one of them, where – I don't think you totally abandoned the run, at least not until you fell behind and you had to. Like, we tried to run it a lot. We tried it with Donovan. We tried it with Siroderick. We tried it with Taj. And, like, two yards per carry. That was all – to me, that's banging your head against the wall. And that's where you go, okay, it is not worth it for us to do this. I don't know what he's seeing in terms of, like, we have to have a look that we know we can gash for eight yards. Otherwise, we're just not going to do it. Um, I mean, he, he clearly believes in this idea that if – if we're met with any amount of resistance and we just shouldn't run the ball. And I know Tosh can't be Superman on every play, but like we've seen him, first of all, he's never brought down on first contact. He's great at that. We've seen him. There's that screenshot from the Baylor game where he's in the middle of 15 bodies, both red Raiders and Baylor bears. He's met at the line of scrimmage is in the middle of a mosh, but he gets nine yards on that play. And so like, we're just kind of waving the white flag and saying, we have a really good running back. We're not going to make you beat him, though. We're just going to say if the box looks too scary for us, we're just not going to do it at all. also thought it was absolute bull crap that he tried to 
say, no, we run the ball plenty. Taj is sixth in the NCAA in carries. I get accused sometimes of using numbers in a misleading way or like skewing the data. We call it umlang in it. That is such a load of crap. Like all that says that Taj is sixth is that we don't have a second back to split carries with. We are 98th in run share nationally. That means that 97 teams run the ball more than us on a per play basis and 35 run it less than us. And most of those teams you would think are probably like your 0-7 Sam Houston's of the world that probably have to throw it on every single play in the second half because they're losing. Yep. Now, all of our losses until Kansas State were one-score losses. The Kansas State game, you were down three in the fourth quarter when you aired it out to the end zone for your third interception. And so – if he truly believes that, which I don't think he does, like I think that there's a more severe problem in terms of like we don't have offensive analysts getting him the right data. Um, to me, that was a total cop out, and like you can you can trick most fans by throwing that out there and saying, "Yeah, our running back is sixth in the FBS in carries." Most fans would go, "Oh, yeah, that's that's a lot," but that's because most teams utilize a second running back, third running back in a way that we don't. Like Valdez gets very little run. Yes. So when you look at team-wide, again, we're 98th in the country in run share. This idea that we're running it so much, and if we ran it anymore, we'd be banging our heads against the wall, and the other team is begging us to pass it, is a load of crap. It just is. And the the other notion, uh, somebody was, not somebody, there was a few people putting out the, well, when you take away the big runs, you only had 3.7 yards per carry. You know what you do if you run the ball 3.7 yards three times? Mathematically? You get a first down. And also, how, good. how is Taj ever going to break a 30-yard run if you don't hand him the ball? Like, yes. that's part of it. The, the yes. levy breaks yes. after a while. Yes. Like, you pound them four or five times. Gosh. Their linebackers start to get tired. Their defensive linemen don't want to put up a fight anymore against your offensive line. That's when you gash some guys. That's also not how it works. You don't get to just take out the big runs. That's part of it. Uh, yeah. Like, okay, so let's take out Jake Strong's three best passes and how well did throwing the ball work, you know? like. If you you can do that the, both ways. If you take out the touchdown runs from Avery Johnson, he didn't run for a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. He ran for five. But it's the same story in the Baylor game where, like, we didn't run the ball too much. We ran the ball very successfully. And, like, I think I think Taj's longest run in that game was 24-30. And I read it. I read every single carry on this podcast. Eight, five, three, one, five, six, three, two. It wasn't sexy. Like, that's all you need. And if you give him the rock 25 or 30 times, there will be a 25, a 30-yarder in there. And again, you have Valdez. You have Nehemiah Martinez. Put two backs in the backfield. You're you're better at running the ball than you are at throwing the ball right now. Yes. So I, I'm frustrated. You know, Speaking of banging your head against the wall, I'm frustrated that they have all this data in front of them. And apparently the thought is that we we run it more than enough. We run it a ton. And if we ran it any more, like we would just be completely shooting ourselves in the foot. But throwing the ball as much as we did in the second half against Kansas State when a true freshman, getting his first look ever, when he, when he threw three interceptions, we were throwing the ball the right amount and, you know, perfectly balanced there. It's just, it's completely bogus. And everybody knows it except like the decision maker, and probably his immediate circle of influence, friends and family. It's like, 
you know, when Congress has an approval rating of 8%, everybody jokes like that's Congress and their immediate family. Like that's pretty much where we're at. There's a couple of contrarians. I think that like in order to feel smarter than everybody else in the room, just take the opposite perspective on something. But like, this has been, this has been tested. We ran it a ton against Houston. We ran it a ton against Baylor. We ran it a ton in the second half against West Virginia. I've got all that data on like how far you get per drive when you run Taj a certain amount of times versus the three and out data when you don't hand it off at all. It's, it's really kind of like beyond debate. And maybe a segue into the BYU preview. There's no reason to quit running the ball this weekend either. And I'm going to, launch myself out of the stadium um, if we like line up and just go tempo, throwing it to the sideline over and over. Uh, Tad says we thought Valdez was going to be a breakout player on offense. He still can be. And it's not RTDB WTB. Like you can run it with anybody. Just run the ball. Now Taj Brooks is your best running back. Run it with him for sure. But Valdez, Martinez, uh, Bryson Donald, where's he? Like, you can use these guys. He's already redshirted. He's not going to get an extra year if you just don't play him. I mean, as many plays as you run, you can guarantee Taj 25, guarantee Cameron Valdez 15, and still have a majority of your plays remaining in your back pocket. Like, we're acting like we're an offense that runs 55 plays, and we have to throw it on 30 of those. You're an offense that runs like 80, 85 plays. You ran 99 plays against Texas last year. Like when you get enough possessions and the tempo is fast enough, like you, you, I mean, you have two choices, either don't run the ball with anybody, but Taj and like run it 30 times, throw it 69 times or slow down a little bit and run more guys than just Taj. And like, clearly we're not going to do that, but anyway, it, it drives me crazy looking at, and, and I, I cut him some slack last year. Like I yeah. mid season, we started saying run the damn ball. And like, I totally acknowledge in the Houston game in the NC state game, like it, it just wasn't working, but you're you nowhere near that point this season. Like you're a very, very good per play team when it comes to running the ball. And again, I go back to this basketball example. Do you want Davide Moretti to shoot 45% on 100 attempts? Or do you want him to shoot 40% on 350 attempts? 350 attempts. So, like, yeah, Taj might not average six if we give him 25 or 30 per game. But if he averages five on that volume, that is still really freaking good and will open up the rest of everything else. But we seem to have this belief, like, unless we think we can just absolutely gash them, there's no point in running it for a four- or five-yard gain. Like, we're not going to take anything less than that, apparently. Just a game break in here at the Texas Rangers. Josh Young, 2-2, two, two, two on it's three to one right now. Full count. Uh, all right. What are some numbers that BYU can throw that you look at uh, that maybe worry you or at least can give them the upper hand? Do they have any upper hand in the, in the matter? I think so. Um, overall, if you look at like their yards per game, points per game kind of data points. They're, I would say, a mediocre defense. Like, they're somewhere between 60 and 90 and all of that, like usually in the 60s or 70s. So they're kind of right at that halfway point. I would say they're an average defense. Very elite. What did Josh do? Sack fly. Okay. So is it 3-1 now? 3-2. Okay. Let's go. We're clawing our, clawing our way back in this. They're elite on fourth down. I think they have the fourth 
best uh, fourth down defense percentage in the country. Obviously, that's a big part of your offensive identity. If you're playing a third string quarterback and not hitting a bunch of big plays, I imagine you're going to be in a lot of third and manageable, fourth and manageable go type situations. So that could be huge. Uh, I don't know how often teams go for it on fourth down against BYU. Maybe that's like inflated by a small sample size. But, you know, the flip side of that, if you're aggressive on fourth down and you go for it seven times and you get two of them, like that probably spells disaster for you, especially on the road. They are, do you want to guess what they are against FBS competition in run defense on a like yards per rush basis? Yards per rush. Let's in see fact, I'll, I'll ask it to you this way. Setting it up that way, I feel like they're low. To go all in on like running Taj as much as possible, what would you want to see BYU ranked in yards per carry surrendered? Uh, 75th or lower. They are 102nd. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So does that scream, you know, let's be really picky about which boxes we run into? No. No. That screams do it as much as possible. Make them beat your really good running back. Doubt they can do it. Uh, I mentioned this earlier that we've kind of, I think, I think we've been fairly critical of the brand and, you know, we preach this, we're the toughest team in the country. And I think we've seen that not quite play out a few times this year. What the hell happened to take three? That has not been mentioned much at all this year at all. And we're bad at turning over the, the other team. Like maybe that's uh, we're we're triple digits and like I, I think that's where I have the blind spot. I get so tunnel vision on the run the ball stuff that like we probably didn't talk enough about the defensive performance against Kansas State on that recap. And like we haven't talked enough about how the turnover margin for Texas Tech this season is pretty close to minus one on average. Like you're losing one turnover per game net against FBS competition this year. And that that was a big part. Like Joey's a more of a defensive minded guy. The take three thing was supposed to be the defensive identity. And we, we take like zero and whatever we do take, we give more on offense and uh, BYU is they're in the plus they, they net about half a turnover per game. So the difference between the two teams is about one and a half on, on the aggregate, like they're plus half a turnover per game. We're minus one turnover per game. Again, going on the road with a freshman quarterback, potentially that could be huge. Like you're not going on the road, losing the turnover battle by two and coming away victorious most times. Sorry, I was looking at the stats there. Um, yeah, turnovers. I, you. I'm trying to and think. Big Twelve turnovers that you've gotten. Yeah, and it's not all on the defense because again, that net also is dependent on how often your offense turns it over. So, like Oregon, I don't think we turned them over, and Shuck turned it over four times. Like that, prob- that one game probably swings that quite a bit. Yeah. Like Malik Dunlap's two interception game. I think Rabbit also had an interception against Tarleton. So like that doesn't really count in this FBS versus FBS stuff. I think Ben Roberts had to pick against West Virginia. Yes. Did Dunlap have another pick against West Virginia? I don't think he turned over Houston. I don't think we did either. So. So that would be, in terms of like a breakthrough, um, the defense forcing two or three turnovers this game would be huge. 
And uh, I don't know how turnover prone BYU is. They're not a very efficient offense. I guess we can get into some of that. Um, they are horrendous, horrendous at running the ball. Two and a half yards per carry against FBS competition. And if we're going to do some Zach Kitley math, if you take away their five best runs, I don't know what it would be. It would be less than two and a half. So they stink at running the ball, but uh, they're smart about it. They run the ball less than just about anybody. They're 109th nationally in run share. So think about it that way. You're 10 spots higher than them in run share, and you have like more than double the yards per carry. Your lead back versus their team average. And we do it about the same. And they've got a true freshman as their lead back. Yeah, who was committed to Texas Tech once upon a time. Once upon a time. Out of El Paso. Um, So, yeah, they're 128th nationally out of 133 in yards per carry against FBS opponents. 109th in run share, so they don't do it a lot. They're going to lean more on Keaton Slovis in the past game. But they're 124th in yards per game, 120th in yards per play, and 119th in third down efficiency. So hundreds. Yeah, like they're probably better at throwing than running, but I don't look at this offense and go, yeah, they've got a ton of bright spots. I, I think the true freshman running back is a good player. Um, probably doesn't get much help in the blocking game. I, I think they do have some capable receivers and tight end. Keaton Slovis, we've seen him be anything from Pac-12, newcomer of the year, freshman of the year, whatever he won at USC, to like a kind of turnover-prone guy that can't keep his job. So I'm not sure which version we'll see on Saturday. But, yeah, I mean, like looking at their offense makes me hopeful that our defense can string together a much better performance than they did against Kansas State. I don't really see an area where they, other than their first-round left tackle, you know, I don't think that based on what we've seen from the pass rush besides the Baylor game, I don't think we're making a ton of plays there. But you don't necessarily need to. Like, You ought to be able to stop the run without overcommitting to it, make them one-dimensional, and then hopefully cause havoc um, in the pass game and force some interceptions that you haven't really done a lot of this year. Who, if, let me see how I phrase this, if one or two guys really stepped up this week and had big games and it equated to a win, who would you say those names were defensively? Defensively? Um, I've got two. I think whoever plays the star position, um, without knowing Baskerville's status, and maybe I missed an update on that, but you know BYU will use a lot of tight end and two tight end sets, and I feel like that is sort of the matchup to watch when the other team is using a tight end. I'm curious, too, if we – I don't know if we did this a lot against Kansas State. I didn't notice it, and I didn't have the guts to do a rewatch, but that kind of 5-2 look or the 3-4 where you walk both outside linebackers down, I thought we probably could have done that against some of the heavier sets that Kansas State ran, and I, I didn't notice that we did it. And uh, Brendan Jordan – I mean, God bless him, he's a true freshman, but he got kind of ate up on some of those run fits. So if BYU comes out there with a lot of two tight end sets, you know, do you run a different personnel group out there on defense? So I think the star position um, and, like, the opposite end, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that Sua Mataia is going to block whoever's in front of him. But if Miles Cole or Steve Lynn is opposite him, I don't think – like, Arkansas got to Slovis a lot. They caused some strip sacks and everything. Um, and then, yeah, like you, you got to turn the ball over and my mind always goes to rabbit. Like he's the guy that covers the most ground. So if we do start causing havoc on defense, turning the ball over, I see him kind of being in the middle of that. So I give me the star position, 
the end opposite of Suamataia and Rabbit. Yeah, turnover. I'm thinking turnovers too. It's Malik Dunlap for me. He can jump a route or two, and then yeah, Linton. You have to rush the passer. If it's Linton or Cole, you have to get to the quarterback. Have to. Yeah. I, I have faith. The run defense is going to be the run defense. It is what it is. They're not going to break a bunch of runs against you. Hopefully. Uh, knock on wood or whatever you say. Ain't no curses. But, yeah, you have to turn the ball over. You have to get to the quarterback. Or you're not going to be successful on defense. You didn't get to Avery Johnson. You didn't get to Will Howard. They were able to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, that's right. And I think, like, if it goes horribly wrong, uh, that probably means BYU found some sort of balance and was able to run it. I just don't see that happening with like as good as your interior defensive line is. They've been so reliable. Um, like if BYU is able to do that pretty much for the first time all year, that would be a huge red flag and a, a surprise to me. But, you know, then again, like you didn't force – we thought you had mismatches there against Kansas State. Like they didn't have super productive receivers. Thought you could leave a lot of your DBs out in coverage on an island. And you just never put them in a position where they had to test you downfield. So I hope we – Hope we don't see repeated out on Saturday. We also thought we could test them downfield. Uh, didn't get that done either, except for maybe once or twice. Offensively, if some guys really had a great game and equated to a win, who would you say shined offensively? Tosh Brooks. <laughs> that's the easiest answer, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's that's a no-brainer. Yeah, like you could without telling me any other piece of evidence from the game. If you said, Hey, Taj ended with 65 yards rushing. I'd be like, yeah, we lost. Yeah. Totally lost. Flip side of that. If you say, yeah, Taj went for 150. I'd be like, okay, perfect. One. No, I would actually go, well, how long was his longest carry? And then what was his <laughs> carry after? Um, so yeah, like Taj is, is an easy answer. I think whoever's the quarterback needs to take care of the ball. Again, you're going up against a team that basically outdoes you and turnover margin by one and a half per game. And so, yeah, it's possible for receivers and backs to fumble, but like usually turnovers are kind of on the quarterback. Um, I think BYU, not a great pass rushing team. They've got one player who has more than one sack on the season, Tyler Batty. It was a guy that uh, Spencer Linton talked about when we did our um, off-season road trip and talked to BYU. Um, he's got, I think, four and a half on the season. Nobody else has more than one. And so if, again, like red flag, if they're just causing a bunch of havoc and destruction in the backfield, that would be a bit out of character. And, like, you haven't been an elite pass blocking team, but I also don't think you've been terrible. I think your quarterbacks have run themselves out of clean pockets into pressure that has kind of, like, made it look bad optics-wise. Um, so, yeah, like, I – man, I – I think between the quarterback situation and just what we've seen from the receivers, I don't want to say I've given up hope, but like I don't have expectations that you have a guy that you can really count on for like a 100-yard performance or say, you know what, we're going to go to you. Maybe the exception of that is Miles Price. Like the Baylor game, he had 12 targets and everybody else had like three or fewer. Um, But besides him, like who has kind of consistently shown, yeah, you can target me in big spots, I'll get open, I'll get a first down. I would love to see a receiver have a breakout game. We just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And any big game would be a breakout game, as you're saying. Like, except for maybe Miles Price. But it just he hasn't had the consistency at all. And that's 
different quarterbacks. That's different offenses. That's different game plans, but is what it is. Uh, Hyatt chimes in. If I tell you Morton doesn't play, what's the line? So is it tech minus three right now? What do we got? Seager bomb three, three. Man, so we we didn't play anything else that last inning. Mm-mm. Okay, well that's all right. I won't get greedy. Tie game three three. I'll take it. Um, and how about Josh Young last hey, night? He was awesome. Two two run homers. Um, they they flashed his uh his postseason numbers his like slash line. He was batting like three sixty seven, three yeah, home leads, runs. Leads the team in average. Leads the team in home runs. Yeah, like seven Our RBIs. I mean, he's I'm so proud of him. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, the line. Is it tech minus three right now? I think it, I believe so. Yes. I think it moved down a little bit from a peak of like four, but I know in the NFL, like Tom Brady in his prime was worth like six or seven points. I don't know how you translate that to college. Um, I'm not comparing Baron Morton to Tom Brady by any stretch, but I, also think the drop off is probably similar because I also think whoever the Patriots backup quarterback was, it's probably better than Jake Strong as a true freshman. So I, I I would guess it would move probably not as much in college. I don't I think I think the other pieces are maybe more important in college. So I, I would guess it moves maybe four or five points to maybe BYU minus one and a half on their home turf. Yeah. I, oh, you think it'd go all the way to Yeah, I think it would yeah, I think it would move through zero. If it's Tech minus three right now, I, th- I think maybe BYU minus one and a half. Well, that depends who who shows up to bet it, right? I mean, obviously, Hyatt knows you can have some, some big money or public come in and sway the line. So I, I, I would not expect Texas Tech to win the game if Jake Strong starts. That's all I would say. Now, I, mean, I think it's Jake Strong. I thought he had some pretty good plays against Kansas State. Um, but that also means you're a play away from Brady Boyd. Right. Here's what worries me. More than just Jake Strong starting. Yeah. Here's what worries me is Baron Morton played three quarters against West Virginia, two full games, Houston and Baylor, and one half against Kansas State. Let's call it three games. I guess he's played a little bit more than that. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, one interception in three games in Big 12 play. I know he had the one against Tarleton. Oh, yes, just one, yeah. And then Jake Strong, again, true freshman. I don't put any of the blame on him. Three interceptions in one half. So if, if I'm a if I'm an odds maker, yeah. I'm, I'm probably assuming that there's a pretty big drop-off between the two, at least in that one statistical category, and that's a pretty obviously influential win on, on the final score. Now, I don't, I'm not by any stretch saying if Jake Strong gets the start, he's going to turn it over six times. I think we'll be a little bit smarter. But, like, yeah, if you uh, surely we've been practicing some wildcat type stuff. If you do, whether you're, you know, a play away from Brady, Brady Boyd or if Jake Strong is fully healthy, like, you've got to be thinking of creative ways to just go like super heavy and run the ball into an eight man box with like two tight ends. Henry Teeter out there is like a lead back. I just don't think you can go five wide and like sling it with a true freshman on the road, make it his first career start. I, I think that's such a bad strategy. And yeah, maybe Zach Kittley looks at the box and goes, well, we'd only average four yards per carry against that. 
okay, would you rather average four yards per carry or would you rather get sacked, get zero on an incomplete pass, throw interceptions? Like, Here's another point I'll make on this game is there were games in the old Big 12 where I thought you had to maximize every offensive possession, and it was like we're, we need to score 45 points to win this game. Against BYU's offense, you do not need to do that. Like, you can – if you get one first down and then punt to flip the field position in this game, that's a borderline successful drive. Now, eventually you'll need more than that. But, like, I don't see you losing if you're smart with the ball and flipping field position, making their offense earn a bunch of yards and points. I only see it going bad for you if you, like, turn the ball over a lot and let them dominate time of possession, give them good field position. So I hope we're smart enough to think kind of like marathon, not sprint, and we don't need seven on every drive. I just think this is a game where you can be a little bit more tactical and say, like, how do we get to 24 points in the next 60 minutes? Because that might be all we need. And, like, we don't need to get to 42 as fast as we can going up tempo. And I know that goes against our DNA of what we want this offense to be from the coach's standpoint, at least. But, like, I hope we I hope we play a little bit smart with the freshman or, God forbid, if he goes down with injury. And I hope we're prepared to do some wildcat type stuff or yeah. just go really heavy formation and run it. How beautiful would it be if you saw Baylor Cup run out there and then Henry Cheaters right behind him? You're in a pistol with Jake Strong. Direct behind is Taj Brooks and then an H-back behind Cup is Henry Teeter and you're running right off this, the edge. Wouldn't that just be beautiful? Yeah. And like at some point, I think you can always manipulate the math in your favor. So like seven man box doesn't look good. You motion in a tight end for an extra blocker. They bring in an eighth guy. Okay. Bring in one of your split ends. Like how we always move JJ Sparkman basically into a H back or tight end position. Do that. If they put nine men in the box, okay, now you have Jerron Bradley in literal one-on-one, absolute on an island, and just run like three go routes, and he'll probably get one of them, or we'll get P.I. Once they put nine in the box, like you win. And so if they overcompensate for the run, then I feel like you're – that's when you should zag. I'm not for being like, oh, they've got seven in the box, so we can't do it. Let's start throwing the ball. Like force the issue if they're gonna match you one for one every single guy that you put up tight and they're gonna move somebody into the box, then you're truly in like a one on one. There's no read for the quarterback to make. It's like, hey, we're running a post and throw him a jump ball, you know. Uh, so I think you can always manipulate the math in your favor. And then if it's even if it's eight on eight in the box, like you've got a hat box for a hat. Out. Yeah. And if somebody misses, which is likely when it's eight on eight. Taj is going to break a tackle. Like he's shown he's very adept at that. Yeah. So trust your or, guys. Or, well, I don't want to say that. I say you can block with Taj because he's a really excellent run blocker. I'm fine with blocking with Taj if you're handing it to Nehemiah or Valdez. I do not want to run any more speed option with that's Jake why, Strong. That's why, that's why I stopped. Even though uh, he's averaging like 54 yards per carry on that. New pitcher, uh, double play. Got out of the inning 3-3. Three, three. Hey, um, do you remember the name of the barbecue joint that Spencer recommended to us? Rahino Barbecue? <laughs> no, there was one in Provo that he said, like, 
even people from Texas and the South swore by. We'll have to try it, but yeah, I'd have to go back and uh, I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, we we can figure it out. Um, we ought to try it while we're there. Um, but I'm sure either way we'll be missing our friends at Rahino Barbecue. Hit them up on social media at Rahino BBQ. Visit their website rahinobbq.com. Home base is out in Olton, but they send the food truck all across West Texas. So follow them on social media to keep up with where that is going. Everything there is good. The brisket, the ribs, the turkey, the burgers, the jalapeno poppers, the sides. It's all fantastic. It's a family-run small business. And you will not regret whatever plate of barbecue you buy there. Get there early because the lines do get long, as everybody has heard the good word about Rahino Barbecue. And we appreciate their support of the Gambling Gauchos. Do you know who would love Rahino Barbecue? Everybody. Al, Al Michaels. Did you see? Did you see his interview clip the other day? No. He's never eaten a vegetable. What? He's never eaten a. He doesn't eat vegetables. Like period. Period. Even when he was a kid, his mom never made him eat a vegetable. I think he like had a single mother, and she never made him eat vegetables. No. Wow. I I'll I'll have that's that's like an inspiration to me. I'm gonna try to go find, and I don't know if it's just like like maybe he eats potatoes or rice or something like a starch, but uh, carrots, broccoli, that kind of stuff. I don't I don't think he messes with. I think he's just straight meat and potatoes. My man, I uh I I wouldn't say I've never eaten a vegetable, but it's rare, and there aren't a ton that I like. But he's like what seventy and just yeah. Yeah, like I don't do that. I've never done oh, yeah. that. And why would he now? He makes $45 million a year or something stupid. That's crazy, man. No, he I miss all the steak he wants. Yeah, an inspiration to us all. Yeah, he's eating lots of brisket. At, uh, he does the three-beat plate with uh, two meat sides there at Rahidio Barbecue. What does Ron Swanson call that? The turf and turf? Yeah. <laughs> the turf and turf. Oh, man. Uh, any other thoughts on the game, around the game, before we kind of move on to some some bin? Yeah, um, if you want a, a quick like game day preview, uh, we're going to be joining our friends over at BYU Sports Nation. It's sort of like a BYU Cougars version of college game day. They'll be going for, I think, a couple hours leading up to kickoff, and they were kind enough to invite us. So Rob and I will be joining them on the set to talk a little Texas Tech, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think there's a chance we appear either before or after or maybe even alongside Texas Tech Hall of Famer Lloyd Hill. His son, Keanu Hill, is a receiver for BYU. Wish he was on our side, but uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. So a little bit of a family connection there for him. Um, last we heard, he's expected to make the trip. And so if we get the chance to meet Lloyd Hill, that'd be really cool. He's a Texas Tech legend, West Texas legend. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, BYU Sports Nation, you can find them. They've got a website that I think streams a show, social channels. We'll we'll share that on Twitter and everything. But if you want to tune into that, uh, we would love to have everybody support pregame. And uh, if you're in Provo, come find us. We'll be We'll be wearing red and black, I guess. I think that's a little bit like uh, college game day where they have some fans set up around so you can come watch. Yeah, I think uh, my family will be there. They're making the trip with me and should be a good time. 
You ready for a mailbag? Then we can make some picks. Yep, let's do it. Matador Transit mailbag. Glad to have them in the fold. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Will Texas Tech ever hire an offensive coordinator who doesn't run an air raid scheme that doesn't anything but raid the air? Has to happen eventually, right? I mean, odds are, yes, it happens eventually. But uh, it's been a while. That was actually something. I probably don't say enough nice things about Matt Wells, and there are still some grad transfer guys that are huge contributors that, um, you have to give him credit for identifying and landing. I, I guess this never came to fruition, and part of that is David Yost's fault, but I distinctly remember at Matt Wells' opening press conference when he was announced as the coach and introduced, he said, to win games in November, you have to run the ball. Yes. I thought, yeah, love that. And, like, we were not really able to execute that. We didn't win a lot of games in November um, under Matt Wells. So I think, like, guys have had the idea – and thought it would be nice to implement that. And, you know, his, his time was short-lived. Uh, but, yeah, I hope one day that that is part of, a, a bigger part of your offensive identity. Well, and, Rob, you alluded to this last episode. Like, for fans of a certain age, it's all Mike Leach and Air Raid. But 10 years prior, like, we were running down everybody's throat in the 90s, and you had yeah. legendary guys, Doak Walker Award winners, All-Americans at running back. And uh, Ricky Williams was kind of like the tail end of Spike Dykes and very beginning of Mike Leach. And he kind of like made the transition from a run it 30 times a game type running back to catch it a lot out of the backfield kind of back. And then like, yeah, we just haven't really had a guy like that ever since. Um, We've had good running backs, no doubt, but like it's all been out of a up-tempo spread offense. Right. Yeah. I mean, even DeAndre Washington is probably the closest you've had. Back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, Zach Kitley said during his press conference Monday that during the second half, Kansas State was loading the box. How can he say this when it's simply not true? Does he not see it? Is he counting the box differently than us? Is he lying? I don't get it. We talked about this a little bit. Um, what, what say you? Yeah, I, I legitimately think it's a matter of perspective, and he sees a box that, most people would be comfortable running against and sets a limitation on himself and his own offense that we're not going to run it against that look. And so it's a little bit subjective. Like you might come look at my front lawn and go, man, that's in nice shape. And my neighbor might be like, man, this guy never cuts his grass. He needs to clean up his front yard. Like it would be obvious if Kansas state had like nine guys in the box and everybody could see and go, okay, yeah, we shouldn't run against that look. It would also be obvious if it was like totally empty, they had a four man box, but I think like he sees six or seven. And if, you know, a hybrid type player, if a safety is down low enough or a linebacker is in close enough, then he's like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to run against this look. And fans are looking at the same thing thinking this doesn't look like that daunting of a front. We should at least try it, especially when the alternative is 
you know, chuck the ball 30 yards downfield on fourth and two with a true freshman quarterback. Bases loaded, no outs. Are the Rangers at bat? No. God dang it. Yeah. Still dunning. Oh, down the pipe. He checks swung. Woo. He missed that one. That should have gone to the outfield. Uh, are we at risk of Joey being a, in a similar scenario as Cliff had? Let me try this in English. Are we at risk of Joey being in a similar scenario as Cliff uh, in his first years on the job as he hired two novice of coordinators and position coaches? No. No. I, I think you could maybe point to – you could certainly point to certain position coaches um, – you know, working at the Power Five level for the first time, I think that's fair. But like Tim DeRuiter, Kenny Perry, Zarnell Fitch, like I know Kenny Perry was a high school guy as well, but like they've had collegiate experience. Um, especially when you have the coordinator like Tim DeRuiter, I think that you can trust his um, trust his hires for like position coaches and stuff like that. He's a guy who's been a head coach, a defensive coordinator at the Power Five level for many, many years. So I don't, I don't think it's very comparable. Like you might be able to say that about individual coaches, but on the whole, no, I think that this staff is much more experienced than Cliff's first staff. And the question says excluding DeRuiter, but I don't think you can okay. exclude DeRuiter. I think that's a, I didn't read that part, but I. Yeah. That's like yeah. excluding all of Taj's good runs. We're not good at running the ball. Yeah. Would you do a week in gin pop for a Rangers world series? Would I do what? A week in general population prison oh um a week in gen pop for a rangers world series for a rangers world series oh uh, no because we're gonna win it anyway yeah i don't know if i need to roll the dice there i would uh i would consider it, the the thought was floating around would you give up a, a three and nine texas tech season for a rangers world series i would consider that as well I always wonder in these hypotheticals, and like, of course, you'll never know. But is it, would it be a gratifying perspective or sight as a fan? Like, if you know the outcome, like, if you get out of prison after we can, like, you know, the Rangers are going to win the World Series because that was the trade you made with the sports gods. Yeah. Like, would it even come close to the thrill of winning the World Series as a fan if you don't know the outcome and, like, it's a totally legitimate achievement? Yeah, I re I rewatch movies. I know what's going to happen. They're still enjoyable. That's fair. I just and again, we'll never know yeah. in these hypotheticals because you'll never be able to say like, oh, if I chop my left pinky off to win a World Series, no one will ever know. Yeah, I'm still surprised by Kaiser Soze every time, Kyle. It, it wouldn't uh, mess me up at all. But I do wonder. Uh. How long until NIL rules change and allow college athletes to wear the equipment of a brand they're endorsed with while competing in their sport? An example of this would be Barron signing an NIL deal with Nike and wearing Nike cleats while playing for an Under Armour school. Do any college athletes have apparel uh, deals? Not yet. I don't, I don't think anybody does, no. What are Mac, the like? Mac McClung wore Nike shoes at Tech. Yeah, what are the NFL and NBA's rules on that? Because like Steph Curry, he would he I guess wears Under Armour shoes, right? Uh, well, pro teams don't have contractual obligations on shoes; they can wear whatever they want. That's what I'm saying. Like, 
but like the all of the NFL's and NBA's uniforms are Nike, right? Right. Do I have that wrong? I believe they're Nike, yes. But individual players can um, – I, I guess that would be your starting point. It would just mirror that. Yep. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't know. Angel Reese just signed with Reebok. Isn't she still at LSU? Maybe so. I don't know what she'll do at uh, LSU. That would be that would be certainly something that uh, you need to look out for. And I think if you do see it, it would be in basketball. That that kind of flows with uh, the history of it. Uh, what are the main differences between this season and last season? I'm assuming this is a Texas Tech football conversation. I mean, aren't you in the same spot you were last year? You won four straight to get to seven wins? Um, you won three straight at the end of the regular. You were four and five. Oh, that's and right. And you won three straight and then the bowl game to get to eight and five. That's right. Well, three and four, that's that's the same. Yeah. Um, I think... So the record is the same, but like you're—I think you've been favored in six out of seven games to this point. I think you were an underdog. Or I know you were an underdog against Oregon. It's the only one, right? Yes. So you lost three games as a favorite. Some of those sizable, like you were—I think six points in Morgantown. Um, in Laramie. Yeah, fourteen in Laramie. I think that's the biggest difference is like last year, not only were you winning games and your record, like it seems like we're not on a trajectory for eight and five and, you know, maybe they'll surprise us. But last year you won games that you quote unquote, weren't supposed to win. You punched up, you won. I think you were an underdog against Ole Miss, Iowa state, Texas, OU, and maybe Houston. I can't remember. So you won at least four games straight up as an underdog. This year, you've won zero in that spot. You've only had one opportunity, but you've lost three games as a favorite. And, like, not just a pick em type favorite where you're favored by one and a half or two. You only lost one game as a favorite last year. That was the Baylor game. And so I think that's the difference is, like, can Vegas be wrong? Sure. But, like, a lot of the analytics still have you as, like, a top 35 type team. Vegas yeah. keeps favoring you over your opponent. And, like, you're just not playing up to expectations. Yeah, and no, the main reason or the main difference to me is it's year two. Like, you should be doing a lot of these things that you're not doing. Maybe injuries would be a, a difference maker, but you certainly had enough injuries last year to to fill a book as well. The one-score game stuff, too. Like, I know a lot of people view that as every one-score game is a coin flip and it's a matter of chance. But, like, we went over this preseason. The teams over the last decade that have a really good record in one-score games are, like, Clemson, Ohio State, you know, teams like that. Teams with really bad records in one-score games are bad FBS programs. And so I think that that's – you know, like, it's a competitive game. A lot of the games are going to be one-score. And you won those last year and you're losing them this year because you're not as good of a team, in my opinion. I, I also think that uh, – I think your receivers have regressed. I don't even want to say, like, not taking the next step. I think they're worse than they were last year. They're the same guys. 
Yeah. And that's that's a huge concern. Is Kitley too focused on scoring points and getting a big job rather than winning? No, I don't – I think that, that getting a big job is all conjecture. Um, I think every offensive coordinator's goal is to score points. So I don't really, I guess, understand the question from that vantage point. Uh, I don't think that the system he has implemented this year and that we've employed has been conducive to maximizing the number of points we score on a per-drive basis. What happened? Your dong just hit a, a sack fly to the track with the bases loaded. I thought that was a grand slam. So 4-3 uh, yeah. with two outs? Two outs, 4-3 with two outs. Okay, that's all right. Fifth inning? Um, You know, I haven't been paying that good of attention. I think it might be the fourth. Okay, all right. We're good. We're good. Nobody panic. Oh, your dong, man. I thought that was a grand slam for sure. I hate that's when that guy's at the plate. I hate that guy, and I hate Abreu just because of his stupid goatee. Yeah. And He's yesterday, he had his back pocket hanging out. <laughs> I hate that, too. All right. Question for Rob. A lot of folks don't realize that Jerry Jones had agreed upon offer with Baron Hilton to buy the Chargers for $5.8 million in 1966. He couldn't – That that's got to be 96. Uh, he couldn't secure the financing – or uh, 86. 1966? How old was it's no this? way, right? Regardless, he couldn't secure the financing. He needed to lock up exclusive negotiating rights, so the deal fell through. Do you wish Jerry's dad could have given him 50K he needed to secure negotiating rights? I am not like other Cowboys fans. I don't hate Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones came in, revolutionized the NFL, uh, implemented a lot of the things that happened today. He was basically the shadow commissioner for many years in the NFL. And a lot of people hate the Cowboys and equities since 1996, their third Super Bowl of the decade. Uh, by the way, I was born in 89, so all three of those Super Bowls during my lifetime. Um, but everyone complains that he doesn't do enough or he does too much or he's Jerry being Jerry. Would I rather be the Lions? Would I rather be the Saints? Maybe that's not a good uh, option. The ta- Would I rather be the Texans, who've never won back-to-back playoff games ever? Like, would I rather be any of those other teams that have – would I rather be the Jets in the last 30 years? Like, the Cowboys have been fine. And would I wish Jerry Jones was a different owner? Who, who, do, who do I get instead? Do I get the 49ers ownership? Do I get the Chiefs ownership? Do I get to pick and choose? Do I get Robert Kraft instead? Like, it's such a roll of the dice. I would rather just stay with Jerry. So, no, I don't wish that he would have been the Chargers. Uh, I'd, I'd much rather be the Cowboys than the Chargers, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I know the 49ers have they've gone further. Like, they've gone to NFC Championship games. They've lost a couple Super Bowls in the last decade-plus um, but yeah, like they're a consistently good franchise since the heyday of the nineties, you know, they were also really good in the eighties, nineties, but yeah, like at least their fans, like, I don't know, you could be, a, and, and I, I mean, I crap on the Vikings all the time, but like for the most part, they're a pretty well-run franchise that like 
the examples you use, we've never been the Lions where we're like 0 and 16 or 2 and 14. We have bad years, but like for the most part, there are adults running the place and we can get back up to like a semi-competitive product. Like we're a wild card divisional team, like about half the time. So I feel like the Cowboys, when they've been bad, maybe in the early 2000s, they were bad for a while, but like they get it figured out pretty quickly and it's entertaining. Like that's what sports is entertainment. Yeah. And like, you could just be some do nothing franchise that never wins and doesn't do anything interesting. But I think Jerry at least makes it fun to follow along with. Oh, Bray, you just hit a bomb. Seven, three. Uh, sorry, I'm getting blown up here. Uh, is Cyclone Larry right saying the USA is only elite when Beard is in town, or does he need to crack another beer and see where it takes him? Yeah, the latter. Yeah, Kansas in town, great atmosphere. Uh, you've seen great atmospheres for TCU, Kansas State, a lot of Big 12 teams. Um, it might not be consistent with the directional schools coming in, but I think you'll have a much better home field advantage, home court advantage, um, with some better competition coming into uh, Lubbock, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, is Zach another Zach Kitley question? Is Zach Kitley the ultimate gaslighter in uh, when it comes to his play calling? Yeah. Like, he tried to convince us that we run the ball a lot because our lead back is sixth in carries. And, like, no, we're 98th. It's why I, I can't stand when people still cite, like, yards per game. Like, some teams are running 52 plays and others are running 85 plays. Like, give me the per-play data. Yeah. So I don't care that just because we don't run it with anybody else that Taj is sixth, like we're 98th as a team in share of plays that are runs. And honestly, a lot of that is probably inflated by all the Tyler Shuck runs we had in uh, in the Oregon game and the West Virginia game. We were we were as low as like 106th, at, at least at one point in run share. It might have even been lower than that. That one just sticks out to me. So, yeah, like that is – if that's not gaslighting, I don't know what is. Uh, how American are you if you see three bald eagles in one trip? Pretty American. Pretty damn. Pretty damn American. I don't know the last time I saw a bald eagle. Uh, if the gauchos was the name of a meal, what would the meal consist of? We almost had a gaucho sandwich at Reno, didn't we? That was mentioned once or twice. So I, I guess that's still in the lab, in the works. I think a sandwich would work. It's probably going to be a little bit of a spicy element to it, but nothing outrageous. I think we go uh, a real, not a diet soda on the side for you. Can't have any of that fake stuff. Correct. No vegetables. No vegetables. Give, give me the Al Michaels. Meat and potatoes, baby. Uh, in your opinion, is there a direct correlation between a football team's injuries and the combination of the nutrition and strength staffs? No. I think that's overstated by fans. Yeah. Uh, injuries happen. Injuries happen to everybody. You just 
happen to be hit in places where you don't have enough depth yet. And so you feel it worse. I think the where you could fault the strength and conditioning coach is if your team looks gassed in the fourth quarter. But injuries, yeah, they happen. Everybody's different. Like Mahomes, when he dislocated his kneecap, I forgot what the timeline for like normal people was. He missed like two games and a bye week and he was back. Yeah. Um, so, no, I think sometimes you have bad injury luck. Sometimes you have good injury luck. And, like, honestly, the as, as big of a deal as we make of our bad quarterback injury luck over the last decade, how many strength and conditioning guys have we had in that time span? Like, you had at least Rusty Witt under Cliff. You had, uh, was it Shoals under Wells? Yeah. And then um, Barlow under Joey. So, I think fans get in their head that, like, there's some workout regimen that, if we do this all off season, nobody will get hurt. And like, it's, it's a collision sport. You see it in the NFL, like with this whole turf conversation, like sometimes it's non-contact. And so I don't think that it's just like, Oh, we've got some puny guys out there that are getting their bones crunched by bigger, stronger teams. I think it's, I think that connection is overstated. Like Jacob Rodriguez getting rolled up going for a fumble was just in a weird position. It's not because he's not strong enough. Yeah, it was like after the play, he was trying to stand up off the ground. and yeah. Like, I promise there's other teams aren't doing fibula workouts better than Tyler Shuck and Bryce Ramirez. Like, that's not why they broke their legs. It's, it's just bad luck sometimes. All right, you ready to make some picks? Yeah. You know what I would pick if I could? What's that? A fish out of Baffin Bay, recomoutdoors.com. Welcome aboard back to the program, Preston, Captain Preston, and the Recomoutdoors team. Uh, You can go to legendary Baffin Bay. I know it's all West Texas, but if you're in the coast of Texas and you want to wade fish out there, you can go catch some trophy trout, some speckled trout, some ginormous redfish, some flounder. And if you want to see all these fish picks, you can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Wreckem Outdoors. Follow them on their website, wreckemoutdoors.com, for information. All right, Kyle. Let's make some picks. You want me to pull them up? Sure. That would help. Got them. All right, let's start, uh, obviously, in the Big 12. you got a couple of games here. 11 a.m., no no Friday games, no Thursday games. 11 a.m. on Saturday, UCF, Oklahoma. Oklahoma favored by 17 and a half, which I think you nailed. Yeah, give me the Sunas. Is it in Norman? It's in Norman. Yeah, give me the Sunas. I think so, too. And I – UCF is going to win a Big 12 game. Hopefully not uh, Texas Tech's their first, but this isn't going to be the one. Although I will say, among newcomers, they came in guns blazing a little bit too confident. So if a newcomer goes over, I hope it's UCF. I think that if anybody needs to be humbled, it's them. It'll be Utah next year that I root for that to happen. It's a little bit different. I think Definitely that Utah it, next year. 
it's natural for fans to maybe underestimate. Like they probably look at the Big Twelve, oh well, like it's not the SEC, it can't be that hard, and like you're not playing Tulsa and ECU anymore. Another newbie versus oldie, Cincinnati, Baylor, 11 a.m., Big 12 plus, Cincinnati minus three and a half. Yeah, Cincinnati sucks. Cincinnati's offense sucks. So does Baylor. Yeah. Uh, Would not touch this with a 10-foot pole. Give me Baylor. Yeah, I'm trailing again, and I would take the under at 49 and a half. Yeah. Two up, two down in the bottom of the fourth. Uh, Texas, Houston. And I think you nailed this one, too. I don't think you went far enough, and I kind of scoffed and said it would be less. Uh, minus 23 and a half, Texas favored on the road in Houston. I think maybe I said like 20. Yeah, and I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, that's a lot for a Power 5 on Power 5 conference game, but. I wonder where that opened versus where it. I think it, like even at Circa, it was up there. Yeah, it opened at twenty and a half, and it's gone to twenty three. And it's a home game in Houston for the for the Longhorns. Yeah, asterisk uh, only. Whatever, give me the horns. Hey, Donovan, one and zero against uh, Texas in his career as a starter. Give me, uh, give me Houston to cover. But not straight up. No. Uh, Oklahoma State, West Virginia at 230 on ESPN. West Virginia minus three and a half. Give me the give me the ears. I'm trusting the climb. This is like the epitome of what you were talking about early in the program. Like, what the hell is the Big 12 this year? I have no idea. I would not bet this game. Oh, yeah. I think Gundy's back. Gundy's feeling it. I don't trust Neil Brown. I guess give me the pokes and uh, three and a half. You think Oklahoma State can win their third Big 12 game in a row? Sure. Why not? Besides Texas and OU and besides, like, Cincinnati and Houston, like teams 3 through 12 there, I have no idea. Sure. Uh, 6 p.m. ESPN2, TCU, Kansas State. Kansas State trying to bounce back. TCU trying to keep up momentum with their backup quarterback. Kansas State favored by minus six and a half. I think that was a little bit off of what we said as well. What exactly is Kansas State trying to bounce back from? Did I say bounce back? Yeah. I don't know. Trying to keep momentum with their freshman quarterback. I was hoping I was misremembering what happened last weekend. Um, I guess I was trying to. (laughs) Kansas State by six and a half. Um yeah, I don't know. Really weird dynamic in this game with both of them. I assume we're going to see more Avery Johnson than Will Howard. Um, both of them kind of probably playing freshman for their second game. Hoover looked really good against BYU. Um, I don't know. I think I maybe don't trust TCU a lot. I guess give me Kansas State. Maybe Oklahoma State was Kansas State's like signature early season. What was that? And they're in the process of figuring it out and rounding into a really good team. So give me K-State. I'll take TCU to cover. I think it'll be close. I think Kansas State wins, though. All right, that brings up Texas Tech, BYU. Uh, I need a score on this one. It's a flat three line. 
What's the total? 51 even. Yeah, I obviously I could be wrong. It's probably more likely that I am wrong, but I feel like under. Uh, BYU's offense looks atrocious to me on paper. I do not trust our offense. I don't trust our offense on the road. I don't know who our starting quarterback is. If Jake Strong is our starting quarterback, and God forbid he gets hurt, I, I hope Taj Brooks is the quarterback at that point, and we just run quarterback power. Yeah. Um, or give me, up. give me BYU twenty, Texas Tech seventeen. We're going under. BYU covers and wins straight up in an ugly low scoring game. I was thinking twenty four seventeen. BYU. Hope we're wrong. All right, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, final thoughts. My, uh, I'll turn final thoughts over to you. What are your thoughts on the Big 12 baseball tournament sticking with Arlington? I love it. You got the SEC out of Arlington. Um, it's, it's way too big of a park. It doesn't really fit. It's bad for the Rangers because you have to be away for so long right there in the middle of the season or early in the season, I mean. But for the Big 12, it's brilliant because there are zero rain delays in Arlington. And you're not screwing yourself like you do in, at Oklahoma State by or, or uh, wherever you play, Bricktown, by having to play six games in a day and a half late in the week just to get the tournament in because of the rain delay. Um, you're not sitting around and waiting. So just no rain delays. It's not the best place to do it, but with with Texas Live right there, I think it's a good spot for fans to go if they want to go. But until the Big 12 baseball tournament really matters, um, it's the perfect spot for it. I, I don't really have a take here. This is one of those things I don't really have a super strong opinion on. I didn't even think about that, though, from the weather delay standpoint. That's unfortunately something you run into at every regional. Like, the reality is college baseball is a regional sport. It's mostly an ACC, SEC kind of sport, or at least that footprint. And, like, it rains a lot in Florida and Georgia and Alabama um, in May and June. So I'm biased now. I live 30 minutes from the ballpark, and I can't remember why I didn't get to go this past year. Oh, I had golf tickets. Oh, there's a thing. It was a Byron Nelson or one of those out here. Uh, anyway, I'm fine with it. It's like your conference footprint now is so big. You're not going to make everybody happy. Um, like I think Phoenix has a case. Like if you wanted to play at the Diamondback Stadium now that they're out there, if, if Vegas ever gets one built, maybe. Um, yeah. Until Vegas has a viable option. Yeah, you could like maybe play at the Royal Stadium, but basketball is in Kansas City, so I think it's fine. Like it's a, it's a venue that it doesn't feel super intimate. Like you can, you can sit wherever you want. It's not going to feel like a really energized crowd with as few people go relative to the seating capacity. But it it's gets the job done. Out. It's not going to sell out. You can you can pack it in. You can sell as many tickets as you want. You can sell premium seats. You can sell suites. Like it for everything you want to do. You can have concerts at Texas Live. You can you can make it everything you want it to be, just like the conference center in Kansas City. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with it. I just saw that news break today, and 
since you attended, I figured you'd have a better perspective on it than most. Well, I went to the, uh, I went to Minute Maid. I didn't go to the conference tournament last year. Did you go two years ago? I went two years ago to the college classic, but not the, uh, not the big 12 tournament. Gotcha. I've been to college games at globe life twice, but not for the uh, tournament, but it's a, it's a great venue. And again, you can sit wherever you want. Like that's the beauty of it. And they don't, they don't cut anything off. You can, you can sit by yourself. You can sit with people. You can do whatever you want there. So I like it. I wonder what we'll do. In the new Big 12, I think we'll have 14 baseball programs. Uh, Iowa State and Colorado, I believe, don't have one. I think everybody else does. So I wonder, are you going to invite 14 teams? Uh, do you do 12, like four get a bye, and then eight play like a, a play-in style? Isn't that what the SEC does? I don't know what the SEC does. They do something kind of weird like that where – there's a bunch like the top four teams get like three buys or something, and then everybody's playing in to play the top four teams or something crazy. Yeah, and I'd I'd honestly be for. I'm fine with this in mid-major conferences giving everybody an invite, but in a Power Five conference, I don't necessarily need to see the 14th seed or the 12th seed. Like invite the top eight or something, and like you know just make it an even. Yeah. I guess maybe in like a really good year, team nine or 10 might say, Hey, we're scrappy enough to make a run at this. But like, you know what? Hey, just keep it at 10 teams like you do. Or I guess it's nine. Um, without saying, like, make it 10 teams, do like basketball where like seven through 10 have a play in game. And then you've got your top eight. Yeah. It's eight you know, right now. Yeah. Give the top six a bye in that first round. Yeah. But then I could also see with like travel, West Virginia's like if they're the seven. They're like, oh, we're going to fly all the way to Arlington to play one game and then fly back to Morgantown. And we're like, we're not a postseason team anyway. I don't know. Like I said, you're not going to make everybody happy, but it's just an interesting dynamic with the conferences getting so big in terms of number of teams and footprint, like kind of some different factors to balance there. Yeah, if you have if you have 16 teams, 14 teams going to a conference tournament, it's, it's uh, two and Q, double elimination – and there's rain. Come on, like yeah. that's why. That's why you're at Globe Life. Yeah. What are your thoughts on calling the Globe Life the GILF? GLF. That's a choice. Yeah, I don't like that. I heard that a couple <laughs> times this week. That's not a, not a fan. I think it could potentially be misinterpreted. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Group chats are going wild right now about the uh, something. I really can't have the Rangers blow this, man. I was uh, talking a little bit too much noise on my private Twitter account. Uh oh. That's a good thing about being private. Though, is like nobody can ratio you. So I can retweet it. And it's like, it's kind of cheap on my part because, like, I'm kind of a Rangers fan. I love the Creed stuff that they're doing, but I'm just like talking all this noise to Astros fans. Like, if I win, I'm probably super annoyed to them. And if. If we lose, like I don't really care that much compared to people like you that have been rooting for the Rangers their whole life. So, well, it's the bottom of the fifth, seven to three. We need Simeon to do something, man. I he has not been good. Why are the Astros so good at Globe Life? I do not know. They are really good though. Because we went for that regular season homestand, and like they took three out of four. Yeah. 
You saw one. So, all right. Well, travel safe tomorrow. We'll see you you in Provo. Yeah, see you in Provo. Love y'all.